All right, Pete Giuliano, it is Saturday, the 7th of March, 2015, and this is, I believe, Solder Smoke 173. 173, yes. 173, a good, a good omen. Yes. And, and, and we need it, Pete. Yes. <laughs> You're right. Because, man, we're in the thick of it this week. Yeah, you bet. Holy cow, tales of woe, especially on my end. We'll get into that in a minute. I know you've been a little bit under the weather, and you're valiantly stepping forward to uh, to, to 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 distribute the, the tribal knowledge here on on solder smoke. Thank you for getting up early in the morning. You bet, my pleasure. Yeah, I I, I mentioned to you earlier, Bill, that the uh, radio gods were against me yesterday. I had cleared my schedule so that I could actually get some time on the bench, and I got violently ill. <laughs> oh, <man>. Somebody didn't <laughs> want me lighting up the soldering iron yesterday. Oh man! Well, but you had—I had, suspect it was my XYL. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> well, you, but you've had—you've had a lot of progress. So first, we go to our um, on the bench segment. Uh, Pete, what do you got on the bench? Well, uh, the last time we had a podcast, I mentioned we were under the gun uh, to get the LBS completed. And uh, we have successfully, uh, there are actually two of them operating on the air right now. So we have the transmitter stages and uh, we've made contacts. So uh, it's kind of kind of exciting to be able to put a, a radio on the air. And uh, uh, I, I must tell you that uh, there's always a thrill to be able to tell the station at the other end, the rig here is homebrew. <laughs> and, oh, I know. And the second question you get, what kid is it? <laughs> what kit is it? Like, there is no kit. It's homebrew. No, no kit, man. Scratch built, Scratch homebrew, built, yeah. hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly enough, we've seen a real side benefit to the let's build something. And and it was the whole concept of the project was so that uh, you could learn and it teaches you how to build various parts of the circuit and how a radio goes together. But I, I've discovered a real side benefit, and that is as an experimental platform. Uh, as a matter of fact, we started with the homebrew filter, and I've since cycled through there two uh, crystal filters. Last, last time we were talking about getting the crystal filter for three bucks. Remember, remember that? Yeah, well, yeah, I got yeah. a couple of those that I got for three bucks, and I ran them through there. And the thing that's so amazing about the LBS design is that if you want to put a different filter in there, you have to have the correct matching uh, to the bilateral amplifiers and then you need to change about three four lines of code and load the code and you're there and 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 i think that's the benefit of using the si5351 and the arduino is that changes can be rapidly affected and and that you you could even use this as a, a test system you know you have a filter is the filter good does it work you know plug it in there and see if it works so I mean, there's there's nothing like a test by fire. So I'm really really encouraged by that. And uh, as I said, we have it working now. Ben, my co-author, he he has an uptown version of this. He he put it in a case. I mean, and, and his case is a repurposed stereo case. You know, these stereo cases that are about two inches high, maybe 18 inches wide, and 18 inches deep. And boy, does that look really cool. There's a picture on the LBS uh, webpage. If you go to um, jessystems.com or look up my call, you'll see a link on there on my main webpage to the LBS. You see a picture of Ben's radio. Really, 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 really nice looking. And and it's, you know, Ben says that having the modules enables making changes so so 
so quickly, you know, you this is not working, let's try something different. So it's not, you disassemble the whole radio, but you only look at that circuit element that you're most interested in. But, you know, I like I like your uh, your layout, too. I really like the two-by-two. Two <laughs> my, my, my find, <laughs> my find. <laughs> but, you know, I, when, you, when you hear a two-by-two, two, you don't really get a, an immediate sense of the enormity of that piece yeah, of wood. Yeah, but when it, you see that... When you see the videos that you have, you take, it takes you a bit of time to pan across yeah, it. It's so big. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, gets, it gets away from the problem that I'm always complaining about, where you start out small and you think, oh, I got plenty of room. But then in the end, yeah. you don't. Yeah, absolutely. No, but I, I really like that. I was looking at the um, Let's Build Something videos and uh, really uh, amazing. And I, I like the way you have all the, you know, I, I've said many times, I like it when the, when the rig is so spread out on the bench. I know, I know that in one of the we posted one and we had it spread out on the bench and on one of the the news groups or one of the emails somebody came in and said oh well uh, the grounding doesn't appear to be uh, sufficient <laughs> it's spread out on the bench man it's like like okay we're we're not done there yet there are no anyway. ground loops in that radio uh, let me assure you there are no ground <laughs> there loops go. okay there you go. all right <clears throat> well that sounds sounds terrific yeah and and I should I'm going to dangle something out here ben has built a second one it's dedicated to PSK. Oh, man. And so what, what the problem with PSK is setting up that frequency precisely and exactly. I think it's he's got it on 20 meters, PSK, and it's working. So yeah. And it's much more compact. So uh, Ben's probably going to write an article himself just on the PSK. So that's coming down the pike. So I, I guess the point I'm trying to make here, Bill, you can start with the LBS, and that's a springboard that lets you move yeah. into other projects and other aspects and, and to do so much with that. So kind of exciting. Well, and I really, I really liked your, uh, your experimenting with the additional crystal filters because I've been thinking along these lines for my next project. I think I mentioned last Heathkit, time. Heathkit. <laughs> uh -huh. filters. Yeah. I, I saw them there. They're beautiful. And I, you know, I have that HW 101 yeah. sitting back there. It's got a CW and a sideband oh, filter. In it. Yeah. I think if it goes on the chopping block, it's going to be like a treasure trove of uh, homebrew possibilities here. But seriously, you could, you know, I, I've thought with 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 the BitX uh, a BitX kind of architecture or the or the LBS to have a way that you could just sort of easily take out one filter and put it in there. Right. I mean, it uh, it's it's definitely still hardware defined radio. I mean, the 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 SDR guys now are are kind of chuckling because they're thinking, oh man, I just you know changed the settings on the on the Flex radio. Whereas we're actually pulling out the crystals and putting in a new set of crystals, but it does give you real flexibility. You could change, you could change the IF, you could change the bandwidth, you could do all kinds of changes. And again, with your uh, SI 5351 there, it's no uh, no fuss, no muss. You don't have to really worry about the uh, where the BFO is. And if you if you did that with my BitX, yeah, you could change the, the crystal filter, but then you'd have to really change the BFO. You'd have to. You know, there'd be a lot of uh, of noodling and uh, and uh, and and rebuilding to make that change. But with the SI fifty three fifty one, it's it's like you said, lines of code. Yeah, you know, this uh, this morning I got an email, Bill, from, and I'm sorry, I, I forget his call. I know his first name is Ed, and I sent him a response back. And this is kind of interesting. He's uh, he's bought one of these dongle things that that you can oh, yeah. do the SDR thing. And uh, he was looking at this QST article that said, uh, okay, uh, you can build this. you got to put a 125 megahertz uh, crystal oscillator, one of these packaged oscillators, into the NE602 or 612. And, and that's part of the down convert that, that you need for that. 
And so he was asking me about the application of the SI-5351. He said, uh, would that work in there? And I said, yeah. You could set yeah. that up for the frequency of 125 megahertz, and it's within the range because it'll go up to 160. So you buy a packaged oscillator, about 10 bucks. Buy the SI-5351, 8 bucks. <laughs> so... <laughs> so yeah, you have to have an Arduino to run it, but then it gives you so much more in experimentation. So yeah, good stuff. Well, you know, you know, I've been resisting this, Pete. We've been talking about this quite a bit. I'm, I'm kind of sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm moving in that direction. Other times I'm digging my heels in and uh, you know sticking with my analog hardware defined discrete component Luddite self. But this morning I feel myself pulled ever stronger towards. <laughs> digital stuff and i'll tell you why maybe this is a time for us to start talking about my tale of woe oh yeah <laughs> oh man you know cf rocky he wrote this uh, article for uh, <clears throat> for sprat our beloved sprat magazine where he talked about instability and in oscillators and oscillators and i amplify am instability and in amplifiers and amplifiers that want to become oscillators and it was a real <laughs> It was a really kind of reassuring and inspirational piece uh, because he he talks about how he struggled with it, and Rocky is one of the you know the giants of, of homebrew, and how he struggled with it, and how he, sometimes you just it it just seems impossible to get rid of the problem. He was the one who introduced the idea of well. Sometimes you may just have to sacrifice chickens to Papa Legba. Yeah. So anyway, I got a few dead chickens around here, uh, Pete, and I've been having some trouble. I've been talking to you about it. You've been giving me some great advice, but the problem persists. Ooh, I thought you had a cure. Uh, I thought I did too, but I said that before. <laughs> All right, let's let us let me tell our listeners yeah. what's happening. Um, this may be. Uh, I mean, and I know that the guys in GQRP and QRPARCI are going to take some real delight in this. And other listeners, I think, will take delight in this because they seem to enjoy when I do things really, really dumb and, and really get messed up in the project here. Who could forget, for example, the joy that was provoked by the time I, I soldered in the, digit, the logic chip in the frequency counter on both sides of the boards upside down? That was, that was a, a really, people, people love that story. <laughs> well, trust me, we've all done it. <laughs> well, I, I, I did it then, and now here, I think the the radio gods and and the QRP world, it, it's like it's having revenge on me because you know I built the CCI amplifier, 120 or 140 watts, right? Great. I know that that, that in the QRP world there were some people who kind of cringed when I announced that, but you got a dispensation though, right? Didn't you get what? Reverend George gave you. That's right. No, I did. I had. I, yeah, I had. But but I think George Dobbs gave me his his blessing, blessing to go ahead. <laughs> but I think I I think we have to look. I think he only meant it for seventeen. Oh, oh okay. It was okay. only on seventeen <laughs> okay. meters because it was intended as an aid to rag chewing. Okay. All right. Okay. I didn't want the other guy on the other end to be straining to hear me, so I built this thing and it worked great. I had never before built an amplifier that didn't at least in the initial stages, want to be an oscillator. This one, at 140 watts, think of the irony. I mean, I've, I've struggled all these years trying to get 1-watt and 5-watt amplifiers tame. Here I go out and I build this 140-watt, 0.14-kilowatt linear amplifier. Oof. With a, I got a big switch on it. It says QRO, QRP. 
and it doesn't give me any trouble. I'm thinking, man, these guys at CCI are geniuses. That Motorola design guy, what's his name? Yogi Granberg. He's a genius too. And then, and I was thinking, you're a genius too, because you advised me on the case and the heat sink and how to tap the thing and everything else. I'm thinking, life is good. I could put these parasitic oscillation problems behind me. And so I happily go on. That was back in September. And all these months, I've been yakking away on 17 meters, bragging about my amplifier, showing people how great it works, going from QRP to QRO. Look at this. Woohoo! Two more S units. There you go. Everything was good. And then I started to think, I got to get on other bands with this thing. Because I only, I only built the one low-pass filter. I built the low-pass filter for 17 meters. Actually, I built it for 17 and 20. And I just picked the cutoff frequency so it would work on 17 and 20. But if I want to get on 40, obviously I need another low-pass filter. Or else Steve Smith out there in California will turn me in oh, yeah. to the man, to the FCC. I'll have that, <clears throat> that black van out in the front yard with the, the antennas up on the roof and all that for lack of a 40-meter low-pass filter. But anyway, I built the 40-meter low-pass filter and installed it in the case of the Communications Concepts Incorporated EB63A amplifier. So far, so good. Now, I have my BIDX2040 that I built. The BIDX17 is the first rig, and then I built the second one, the BIDX2040. And uh, I figured, okay, that'll be easy. I'll just hook it up to the amplifier and, uh, you know, do some tweaking and testing and everything else, and everything will be good, and I will... Can, now I'll be able to yak away on 40 meters and rag chew there too. All right? So far, so good. Man, let me tell you. Pete, I found out 40 meters is not a good band on which to have a nasty distorted sounding signal. Because those guys are going to tell you about it. A lot. They're gonna, and, th and not only that, here's the thing that really kind of made me mad. There's obvious glee in their voice when they're telling you about it. There's this self-righteousness. There's this superiority. They're coming at you, all of them, by the way, on rigs that they did not build. But if you get on the air and there's some kind of weirdness to your signal, they will pounce. I think. I think. I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on this too much. But I think part of it is the uh, the, the many hams now who have spectral displays. The uh, the the. Uh, the whole, they could see the whole thing, the pan adapter, as we used to call it. So they sit there, and if they see something that looks weird, a little fuzzy, a little too broad, maybe a little too much on the other sideband, bang, they're there. And they also, they don't seem to, many of them don't seem to need, see the need to use a, uh, a call sign. So this is so like some irony here, too, because they're, they're criticizing you for uh, a kind of a, a ham radio failing, and they're doing it. In the most kind of unfriendly, not following the, the rules, yeah, <laughs> illegally, yeah. just jumping in. Oh, you're, you're 20 KCs wide. Yeah. Oh, you got to fix that thing. One guy came in, and he said to me, he, "I guess he had been listening to me because I was on the air with uh, with another ham, and the other ham was actually trying to help me." I just said, oh, "Okay." When he reported that it sounded bad, I said, "All right, well, listen, just tell me what it sounds like. That might help me when I go to fix it." Right away, this other guy comes in and he says. That little QRP rig of yours is just not ready for prime time. Ooh, man, that hurt. Prime time? I didn't think we were on prime time. <laughs> this is amateur radio. Anyway, 
enough of my uh, whining here. That we have gone. I've, I've been troubleshooting this thing. No kidding. It must be two weeks. I think I'm into this thing two weeks, and uh, it's uh, it's not yet fixed. It and maybe, maybe we should talk a little bit about the about the troubleshooting process because I think you thought that was it's painful for me, but you thought it might be educational. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, here's the symptoms. Oh, that's when a 23. I, Excuse me, I don't say absolutely anymore. It's a 23. 23. <laughs> <laughs> you can say absolutely. <laughs> All right. Listen, here's 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 what happens. When I uh when I when I'm running the uh, the 40 meter uh bit X. I mean, now we're just going we're just going to talk about the 40 meter portion of it now. When I'm running it on 40, if I'm running it barefoot, everything seems fine. Everything seems fine. I don't get any reports of bad audio. I'm running it at about six, seven watts. I have a lot of contacts. Everything's fine. As soon as I put the amplifier online, I throw the switch, the relay clicks over, the amplifier comes in. Basically, all hell breaks loose, and I get reports of really distorted audio. Um, it, it, it really, it's, it's obvious that it's, it's not some little slight problem. It's really, really nasty. All right, so now, okay, I start troubleshooting. I hook the thing up to a, to a, to a dummy load. And I start poking around with the scope probe. And here's a couple of interesting things. There's, when I put the scope probe on the output of the amplifier, with the amplifier on, and I'm, I'm driving the, uh, the transceiver with an audio signal generator just at one tone, just to see what it looks like, there's no real obvious problem. It looks pretty, uh, pretty much okay. However, when I take the scope probe and put it at the output of the transceiver, in other words, at the at the antenna connector or the the, the connector that's going to the amplifier. Um, when I put the probe there, again, with the amplifier off, the output looks okay. When I put the amplifier on, man, that beautiful sine wave that I'm seeing before turns into this jagged sawtooth. So, and here's the other interesting thing. Now, this is kind of an interesting troubleshooting point. If I move the scope probe to the other side of the low-pass filter in the transceiver, the, the sawtooth turns into a nice sine wave. In other words, if I'm on the, the inside part of the transceiver low-pass filter, the signal looks fine. The, the input side is what you're saying? Input side of the low-pass filter? The input side of the low-pass okay. filter in the transceiver. Right. In other words, I'm a, now I've got the, uh, the low-pass filter between... Uh, the transceiver and the rest of the world. And I look at it there. There it looks okay. It's only when I move to the other side of the low-pass filter, to the antenna connector that's going up to the amp, do I get this jagged sawtooth. So for me, what this says is that the problem is not in the transceiver. The, the problem is in the amplifier because I'm looking through that antenna connector right into the input of the amplifier. It looks like there's signals in that amplifier box that are not uh, present inside the transceiver box. Now, whenever you get into one of these oscillation problems, there's, there's a real possibility that some signal from the amplifier is getting back into the transceiver at some point, and the whole system is sort of contributing to an oscillation. Um, but in this case, I think because of what I saw at the different sides of the low-pass filter, it led me to conclude that that was not the case. In other words, if there was an oscillation going through the whole thing, it would have shown up 
I would have seen some evidence of it. On the input side. On, on the input side right. of the transceiver low-pass filter. Right. So that was not there. So I'm thinking, okay, this must be something that's going on inside uh, the amplifier. So for some reason, when I hit the amplifier with 7.2 megahertz energy, it, it pushes the amplifier into oscillation. And so now we have the oscillation from inside the amplifier mixing with my signal and producing all kinds of noise and distortion. Guys on the air described it as like a really raspy sound on my voice. So, okay, so now we're thinking, all right, the, the CCI EB63 amp is taken off. There's some sort of oscillation. As, as you put it, there's a ghost in the machine. So now we got to try to exorcise the ghost. We talk about exorcism here a lot. Um, I take a look, you know, I, I, it's useful at this point. If you have a problem like this these days, I find that if you're just looking for ideas, it's, it's useful to go out onto the Internet and just sort of write a line in Google describing your problem and see what else is out there. So I put in EB63A CCI oscillations like that. And I found a lot of uh, a lot of good information, a lot of bad information. A lot of guys who had obviously built the thing improperly or were doing weird things with it so it couldn't operate. But there were a number of really knowledgeable people out there who said things that that were really kind of interesting and useful. One thing they pointed out is, and this I don't, I don't, I'm not meaning to be harsh or critical of the amplifier. It's a very simple amplifier. It it has there's some so here, here's some of the elements of simplicity. A lot of uh, more advanced amplifier designs have built-in negative feedback. They either have degeneration degenerative feedback. They have some sort of resistance in the emitter. And then they also have sort of some sort of collector-to-base feedback loop that provides negative feedback. And this reduces the gain, stabilizes the, the amplifier, and I think uh, spreads out the gain across the frequency spectrum. If you don't have that kind of feedback, one of the things that goes on with transistorized amplifiers is that the gain is a lot lower as you go lower in frequency. So... This creates a real vulnerability because if something is going on at very low frequencies, the amplifier has very high gain at those low frequencies, and you could get some very low, high, very powerful low-frequency oscillation taking place inside the amplifier. And if that was mixing, that, that could be driving, those, those oscillations could be affecting the bias, it could be driving the amplifier into completely nonlinear places, and it would produce that kind of raspy distortion that I've been hearing about <laughs> so frequently and vehemently on, on, on 40 meters. Um, then we turned to, uh, I, I saw in some of these discussions, someone that is quite knowledgeable about this, and we've, we've talked to her before. She's a real amplifier guru, and that's Allison. KB1GMX. KB1GMX. Yeah. Allison knows her stuff. Oh, yeah. And... You know, she's, and also she's not at all shy about telling you when she thinks you've messed something up. She's very candid, which is, which is good. So I turned to her and I described the problem and here's something where you really, it's a tribal knowledge thing and it's kind of an internet knowledge thing too. Uh, 
When I described to her the waveform, I said, it, it looks like a jagged sawtooth. Right away, she came back and she said, low frequency oscillations. I mean, and she said it with great confidence. She said, that's what I think is going on there. So she came up and she said, here, try these, these fixes. One of the fixes involved installing a simple, uh, uh, a simple um, collector-to-base feedback network on both transistors. I tried that, and I didn't see much of an effect. And then she also said, well, look, why don't you just increase the, the decoupling to ground at, at various key points on the amplifier for low-frequency oscillations? So put some, some larger electrolytic capacitors in there at a few strategic points. And I did. And that seemed to help. It didn't fix it, but it helped. But I still had the problem. Now we're about 10 days into this thing. We've made progress, thanks to Allison, thanks to a lot of advice that you've given me too, Pete. But it's still, it's still there. And, and now I think one of the things I learned, and again, I think it's, it's something that comes to you with time um, and experience. You can't let these things drive you nuts. You've got to work on it for a little while, but then just say, enough. Basta. Basta. Good Italian say. word, yeah. Work on something else, yeah. have a nice QSO on 17 meters, walk the dog, take a day off, do something different, um, and then come back to it. And sometimes you get ideas at odd moments that really help you with the troubleshooting. So, all right, now, you also you have to be careful, I think, as you go through it, not to get too wedded to your current theory. In other words, you can convince yourself that this is it. I know what it is. This is it. And then, because you have that stuck in your head, you're not sure that's it. You think that's it, but you can convince yourself that that's really it. And then you start looking for evidence to support it, and you start kind of disregarding other bits of evidence. So I started thinking, wait a second. Why is it that this amplifier is so nice and stable and peaceful and well-behaved and spectrally pure on 17 meters with a 17-meter bit X, but when I hook up an almost identical 40-meter bit X, all hell breaks loose. Why? Why is that? What would explain it? And I didn't really come up with a good explanation. So then I started saying, well, let me take a closer look at the signal that's coming out of the bit X. Because you said something that stuck in my mind. You said, be careful that there's not some sort of strange frequency product coming through the bandpass filter on the bit X40 that might be making it through and making it up to the amplifier. So that the fact that it was working on 17 and not with on 40 and what you told me about some weird product making it through caused me to say, all right, now I'm going to take a real look, a close look at what this signal is like all the way through the transmitter. Now, I, I'm fortunate because I have kind of... I have a kind of a reference uh, tool. You know, when you're building homebrew stuff, there's not a lot of documentation. You're, you're, you're kind of out there, especially with a rig like, like the Bidex, which is very much kind of experimental, kind of improvisational, a lot of people doing different mods and stuff. So it's not like you have this big, thick manual. You have a lot of resources on the Internet, but there's no big, thick manual out there. But I have one working Bidex that... That, that everybody says sounds great. I've never had any trouble with distortion or anything like that, and that's the bit X17. 
So what I did is I, I printed out a, uh, a copy of the, the schematic. And I went through with the scope probe and carefully took a look at what the, what the signal looked like at various key stages all the way through the transmitter. Uh, the waveforms, in other words, the right. waveforms, what they look like coming through there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, and actually drawing little pictures. I draw a little arrow, and then I draw a little square, and I draw a little picture, and I make some notes about the on the bottom. What does the wave, what does the waveform look like? Uh, what are what are the settings on the oscilloscope? What is the uh, RMS voltage at that point? Data. And I go. Data. Yeah, data. I'm gathering data. data, and I go I go all the way through, that with the bit X17. Then I go and I do exactly the same thing with the bit X40. Same input signal. I'm pumping in. You know, about 700 uh, hertz of audio. I'm, I'm doing it so that it's driving the amplifier up to the one watt level, just that. And, um, and I'm taking a careful look all the way through. And then I start noticing, because I'm looking at it carefully, and I have, now I have these two uh, annotated schematics in front of me. And I start taking a look, and I start comparing it. And I do start noticing differences. You know, on the bit X40, I noticed that on my output that I previously had just assumed was nice and clean, actually at the one watt level, it didn't look very clean. Sure, it's a sine wave, but it looked like there were a couple of other little sine waves in there floating around with it. Whereas on the bit X17, it was one pure nice sine wave. That was a hint. The other thing I noticed was that at the VFO output on the bit X17, again, it was a nice, pure sine wave. At, on 17, it was, it's at around 23.1 megahertz. It's a VXO. It's nice, clean, pure, no problems. On the bit X40, not so much. It was obvious on the bit X40 that there was um, harmonics coming out of the VFO box. Uh. Uh, that's a sign. But then here, oh man, and this is painful. This is painful for me to say because, you know, I've been trying so hard to do design and build in that sequence. And I really tried to be careful on this. But listen to this. This is really horrendous just to admit that I'm going to do it right here for the sake of the radio arts and the amusement of our listeners. All right, on 40. I have the BFO, the, now on 40 meters, I have the VFO running from uh, 3.7 to 3.8 megahertz. Now, what do you think the second harmonic <laughs> is? <laughs> 40 meters. The second harmonic is from 7.4 to 7.7 megahertz, right? Yeah. It's, it's too close. Yeah. It is. Because... Okay, so the second harmonic's going to be coming out of there. The second harmonic's going to be going to the mixer. And that second harmonic energy is going to be floating around. Some of it's going to get through. And some of it's going to go up. And so at the bandpass filter, you're going to have my desired signal at 7.2, but you're also going to have elements of 7.4, 7.7 getting in there. And I mean, the skirts on the bandpass filter, I don't too think wide. are, yeah, they're too wide. I don't think I can make them steep enough. I think there's always going to be a bit of a remnant getting through there. Now, that would explain the multiple traces 
that I saw on the output, those, you know, not just the one sine wave, but the kind of the multiple sine waves, one of which appeared to be lagging the other one by a little bit. Some of it was getting through. Now, this might, well, when it, can you imagine when these two signals reach the amplifier, the, the CCI amp? Now, we call it a linear, but of course, it's not really a linear amplifier. It's running class AB, right? So if, if there's anything to mix, it's going to mix it, yeah. right? So imagine if you have a, a 7.4 megahertz signal arriving with a 7.2 megahertz signal, you're, one of the products that you're going to get is a 0.2. <laughs> you know, you're going to get a, what, a 200 kilohertz signal in there, Which right? Which loves to go through that amp. The 200 kilohertz signal going into an amp with a whole, without a whole lot of feedback, without any feedback, the gain is going to be enormous. So there you could get the low-frequency oscillations that, that Allison, I think, correctly predicted. Uh, you know, this all goes back to me kind of winging it on what frequency I'm going to use for the VFO. And uh, it, it didn't really show up. It, it's, it's obviously been there all the time, but until I hooked up the amplifier, it, it probably, that, that level of the, the 7.4 megahertz signal was probably so low, and there was no place for it really to, to mix significantly, that it probably, I, I'm guessing that it really just wasn't noticed. It's only when you got that high-powered amplifier there being driven into oscillation that it really turned into a horrendous situation. Because when people told me that the, uh, that the thing sounded awful, if I reached up and turned it from QRO to QRP, then they said, oh, yeah, it sounds great now. Well, it probably didn't sound completely great. It's but just a lot they better. Couldn't really, yeah, they couldn't hear the, the nastiness. But, uh, but it's still there. And so that's where I am now, Dr. Giuliano. Ooh, yeah, perfect answer. You, you put an SI-5351 in it. This and, is what I mean. No, one of the things you could do, Bill, is if you could find some VXO crystals that are above the IF. So your IF is at 11 megahertz. Is that correct? Yeah, I know. I, if I put 19 megahertz crystals in there, around 19, yeah. and then do 19 minus 11 and get me down. Yeah, I could do that. That, that, would, uh. that would take care of the problem because then you wouldn't have that, that second harmonic going through there. You know, I, I should mention that typically in the old design days, they always tried to put the LO above the incoming frequency. Oh, and and also uh, uh, and above the I yeah. and above the IF yeah, filter. Yeah, yeah, always. Yeah, because because the harmonics then are all going to be way up. Above. Yeah, that's that's the happy situation in my BIDX seventeen. You got it because it's twenty three. On, right? on, on the BIDX seventeen, the IF's at five megahertz, yeah. and the and the VXO is running at twenty three. Yeah. So even if there are harmonics from the twenty three megahertz oscillator, they're so far above everything. They won't go through the filters. No, and it's fine. So there's no birdies, yeah. nothing. It's nice. So I mean, there there are practical solutions, notwithstanding going to the SI fifty three fifty one. But you know, but that also that that poses some problems because that's a twenty forty rig. So while yeah. you may, may fix the forty, you wouldn't fix the twenty. But the SI fifty three fifty one, when you band switch, it could shift the range, <laughs> so it'd be yeah. right. Yeah. No. No. I I I could do I could do it that way. I mean. I have I don't have the SI5351 but I got a couple of AD9850s here 
And just to, you know, and again, I have to be careful because this is my, my theory and I don't want to get too wedded to it. But one way to really confirm it would be just to take the um, AD 9850 yeah. and run it up to about 19 megahertz. Yeah. So that way we wouldn't have any of these potential mixing, pro- yeah, just, potential just harmonic dis- products. disconnect the VFO. And substitute yeah. that. Yeah, that's a one wire, you know, or one or two yeah. wires. That that'd yeah. be an easy easy test. I know, and then and then run it there, and see if I can get it to work there. That would be that would be that would be one way to confirm it. Yeah, pretty pretty simple. You you know, I'm just reflecting back on all that you had said here just during this period of time to share with our podcast listeners. You know, your experience with this. There is really something significant. Don't get locked in on a solution, <laughs> like like, right. like you said. No. You, you need to look everywhere, and and that data I think is so powerful because now you can look at some something real and say, okay, this one works, this one doesn't. What am I seeing here? What am I not seeing here? You can compare the two. Yeah. Oh, and another thing that you said that I think uh, is a real uh, kind of kind of a piece of wisdom here. Um, when you're working on a problem. Be careful not to just pile solutions and band-aids up on top of each other. Oh, yeah. And so I'm, I'm real careful. Like when I go in there and try something, um, for example, when I went in and tried to install the, uh, the low-pass filter, I mean the, um, the, the feedback networks on the amplifier, as soon as I saw that they didn't have any real impact, I took them out again and went back to stage one. You know, and, and so because you don't want because if you start adding stuff, create other you, problems. You you could create other problems, yeah. and then and it just it's everything starts to compound. So, I mean, you know, I have to remind myself that there that on this rig, there is a lot that's working properly. The receiver on both bands works works very well, and 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 so I I don't want to kind of throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, I, I on the Bidex, I don't know whether it was this. I think it was probably this one when I was first building it. Well, I was having I was having some trouble early on or something and I I actually had a nightmare that in in, in the nightmare I had become so frustrated with the thing that I had taken all of the components off the board. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> completely stripped wow. the board clean. <laughs> and I came in in the morning and said, "Why did I do that? Why did I do wow. that?" So, uh, but you know, you, you really can let this stuff drive you nuts. And a lot of times you'll hear people say, use phrases like, I was pulling my hair out, it's driving me crazy. And you really, it really can. I mean, Gene Shepard, we used to, when Gene Shepard has this one great um, broadcast where he talks about parasitic oscillations and, and his obsession with getting them out of his rig, he said he would, he'd be walking around for weeks with this kind of lost look, this thousand mile stare in his eyes. You know, he had bags under his eyes. His mother was asking him what was wrong and he couldn't tell her. No one could understand, but he knew, he knew. <laughs> Parasitic oscillation. There you oh go. my God. Hey. It's just, it's, it's horrible stuff. Well, that's cool. Well, anyway, I, that's, that's where we are. Well, I'm going to work on it a little bit more this week. And I think the next, the next phase is the, um, uh, the substitution, take the VFO out, put the AD9850 in there. You got to be careful with that too, because if you don't do it properly, you're adding all kinds of wires and you yeah. could be adding additional oscillation paths and things like that. But I might try you it. You know, I want to go back to your comment about it's working fine on receive. Think about that for a minute. The reason it's working fine on receive, there's probably not too many stations. I mean, there used to be broadcast stations, 7.3 to 7.4, something like that. Yeah. 
there's probably not a lot of stations in there. So the, the mixing product on the down mix and receive is probably there. Just you're yeah. not hearing anything. Just not hearing you're it. You're not yeah. hearing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's also, you know, it's yeah. I think, you know, one other thing I did, I and this was a little quick fix that we discussed yesterday. You know, so when you have this harmonic coming out of the um, um, the VFO, you think, okay, well, I'm going to knock down the harmonic, and I went in and I built a little a uh, little low pass filter, um, kind of a W3 NQN low pass filter. He's got it's just a, a coil and two caps to ground, but he has an additional cap across the coil, and this aids in the knockdown of the it's second harmonic. I think I, I think this would be pretty perfect for this application. So I got out a little piece of PC board, a little uh, toroid core, uh, a few caps, and I built this thing. I guess it's about the size of the end of your thumb on a little Postage piece of PC stamp. board. You showed yeah, really small. And I went into the VFO box, and I I poked around, and I realized that the second harmonic it, it's it's being generated by the actual VFO stage. It's not coming from the buffer or a couple of the VFO amplifiers that I have in there. It's it's coming right from the belly of the beast, right from the VFO stage itself. That's where it's it's happening. So I, I took this little uh, uh, filter and installed it between the VFO and the buffer stage just to see what effect it would have. And the effect was exactly what you'd expect. It really knocked down all the harmonics. So now the output from the VFO was quite pure but it also introduced a lot of loss so the strength of the signal the overall strength of the signal from the vfo box declined a lot so i've taken that out because i, I need to work on that quite a bit also i think there must be a better way to get rid of the harmonics from that vfo stage other than sort of this kind of kludgy filter at the output i remember one time when i was working on a on a, on a, on a 17 meter sideband rig way out in the azores 10, 12 years ago, I had a stage that was obviously running so hot that it was generating all kinds of harmonics. And I remember what I did, it was a Colpitts oscillator, you know, with the feedback going back through two capacitors, right? And I, you know, I was just looking at it and I said, you know, I, I just said to myself, if I wanted to reduce the amount of energy being fed back, what would I do? And I installed a little ceramic trimmer cap. You know, you have this line coming back from the output back to this junction of the two capacitors. I put an additional cap to ground, that trimmer. And I just increased the capacitance because I realized that if I did that, I'd be increasing the amount of energy going to ground and reducing the amount of feedback. And it was great. It was like I squeezed the harmonics right out of it. And I turned it into a nice pure sine wave and the problem that was being caused by all those harmonics disappeared. So, I don't know, that, that might be a solution, but here's the other problem. Even if I squeeze all of the harmonics coming out of the VFO out, right, that 3.7 megahertz signal coming out of the oscillator, there's still going to be harmonics generated Elsewhere. in the mixer, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's still going to be there. It's going to be less... It's probably not it's just, a good frequency. <laughs> no, no, it's awful. I don't, you know, and I actually sat down with spreadsheets and, th and tried to figure this out. Yeah. And and I, I I can't believe I missed this most obvious thing. 
maybe I was looking at you know the more at the carrier oscillator and not so much at the yeah. at the VFO. But it's really really dumb. I mean, and again, this was me trying to get it right here. It just shows you you can. You know, one of the things if you move the filter frequency up to twelve. We're down to ten. You'd shift those, shift that by about a megahertz. So that that's another option for you. That's another option, yeah. But then, it, then but then it gets difficult to kind of um, get both twenty and forty. Yeah. I mean, this is ideal. Hey, by the way, I, I do want to mention about the low pass filter about the BFO. Uh, take a look at Wes Hayward's stuff. He always puts one of those in there. No kidding. At the VF, at the, at the, yeah, of the oscillator. Yeah. He he does yeah. he does because I I built one I was having a problem with the radio and I looked and I said uh, he had a two part article uh, December eighty nine January ninety on a twenty meter single sideband QRP transceiver and that's what he does out of the VFO and he puts this so you knock down the second harmonic so kind of there's some I mean when Wes Hayward does something <laughs> you Doug Demore too yeah you can believe. There's a good reason for that, and there's a good reason for yeah, it. No, I know. Yeah, and, so you, yeah, so you you know don't 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 necessarily brush that off. So someone's been there before, and, and I I sort of trust what what Hayward does. He did yeah, it. There's a good I, reason. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean I uh, and 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 most of the uh, the VFO circuitry uh, came from um, Doug Demore's QRP notebook. He has this kind of un universal oh, yeah, VFO circuit yeah, in yeah. there. I and I, I just took everything from the buffer and the buffer amplifiers and put it there. But then you, when you read what Doug wrote, he, he kind of, he, at the last, at the end, he said, oh, yeah, and you might want to put Filters. a low-pass filter <laughs> yeah, at the output. Yeah. yeah, good good idea. Hey, but, you know, um, let's, every every dark cloud has silver lining. This one has some some silver linings. One, I've become a lot more intimately familiar with what the signal level should be as the signal goes through a bit X transmitter, what it's supposed to look like. Um, you know, some places, you know, it, it looks really nice, but if you're looking at the output of a mixer before it goes to a filter, it's going to, you know, even if it's working properly, it's going to be ugly. an unholy yeah, mess. Ugly. Yeah. The other thing uh, I discovered, and and I, uh, you you were the one who gave me the idea for this. I, I kind of, I, I, in this whole process, I've become... A lot more aware of the capabilities of my Rigol digital scope, and you and I were talking about this a few nights back, and we were talking about the different settings on the scope and what they did. And I and we both kind of said, "Well, I guess we got to go back and take a look at the manual." So I went and looked at the manual. But you had also mentioned um, fast Fourier transform, and I, I remember thinking as I was going through this thing, "Wow, wouldn't it be nice to have a spectrum analyzer?" Because that way I could really take a look at what this you got thing. one. <laughs> I do. I have one. It's in the Rigol scope. Yeah. And I, I kind of knew it, but I never yeah. I had never messed with it before. But I got had the manual sitting there in front of me and they described how you could just how you turn it on. I'd never used a spectrum analyzer before. Didn't realize that I had one in this little three hundred and fifty dollar box. So I hit the button, you hit the math button, you select FFT. And man, it's really cool because you have on the top part of the screen the waveform that you're looking at, and at the bottom they're displaying the whole thing in the frequency domain. So there you see this nice little spike where your signal is, and, and the then harmonics. you see these other two. Yeah. Just the harmonics. Yeah. You can see it right there. And as you make changes, you can see the harmonics coming and going yeah, and up yeah, and down yeah. and everything else. And so that that's really a, a fantastic tool. I mean, as much as I loved my Tech 465. 
It didn't do that. No, it didn't do that. Hey, <laughs> no. hey, I'm looking at the clock, Bill. It's time for SCD. Oh, oh, oh the Shameless Commerce Division. Yeah. Thank you for, for reminding us, Pete. Um, I would In the Shameless Commerce Department, I think uh, I'll continue to mention the fact that when you think Amazon, think solder smoke, uh, we, we, ha- we actually have to buy stuff to support the podcast. You know, I'm buying, I'm buying something. I'm buying audio recording software. Yeah. It's called Pamela, and it costs a few bucks. And that's the kind of thing that we use the money that Jeff Bezos sends us when you guys buy stuff. Through um, through Solder Smoke Blogspot page, uh, and you go to the Amazon link in the upper right. Anything you buy there, cha-ching, Bezos and company sends us some money. So it doesn't cost you anything; it costs them money, and that's got to just that, that's kind of a nice and, thing. And all so, we're trying to do is improve the quality of the broad podcast because of the complaints we've heard. <laughs> <laughs> the constructive criticism. Yeah, right. <laughs> Don't think of it as complaints. Constructive criticism. And listen, uh, as long as, well, this is. I guess we'll wrap up the shameless commerce division. So just yeah, continue when when you when you think um, Amazon, think solder smoke. Go to the solder smoke blog page, soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Whatever you're going to buy, plug it in there, and then proceed with your purchase as normal. And bang, we get we get a few we get a few bucks. Think about subscribing to the podcast or to the to the blog or to the blog comments. There's a lot of ways you could do that. It's along the right-hand side of the blog page. Got a lot of good stuff on the blog. I mean, it, we're updating it every day, and we're getting so much good email from our, our listeners and readers that we put a lot of stuff in there, projects that they're working on, uh, Michigan Mighty Mites, all, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of stuff there. I think you guys will get a kick out of it. I try to update it every morning. And it's good if you could subscribe because then you get an email alert or uh, – it shows up on, on one of your computer screens to let you know that there's something new there. Finally, uh, the books, Solder Smoke, um, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, still on sale. You could buy it as an ebook um, or a, a print book. And our new book, Us and Them, uh, An American Family Spends 10 Years with Foreigners, foreigners. including Italians. Including people. Italians, yeah. There with uh, Giovanni Manzoni. Giovanni Manzoni, yeah. Um. But anyway, what was what was I going to say? The um, oh, the audio quality. This this concludes the Shameless Commerce Division portion of today's show. But since we were talking about buying software, we are making a sincere effort to improve improve the audio quality of the show. I, I you know it, it pains me to think that I have terrible audio quality on forty meters end on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it. Hey, be, maybe are we finished with the SCD? Because I wanted to throw a little in here about that. KX3. Oh man, it's it's time for the KX3. Yeah, just a, a few comments here. F- first of my my time has been limited with the KX3 because uh, of trying to finish the LBS. Let's build something. And I did manage to get on on the air the other day and and I got to tell you something. I I am truly amazed. I was operating 17 meters, which I think is really a, an a, an excellent band. You don't have to have a lot of power to make a lot of contacts. And I was doing the uh 2,000, 2,500-mile contacts on 7 or 8 watts. So, you, you know, that's kind of a perfect power level. But let me tell you what struck struck me about this the radio. Of course, it has all the latest technology in it. But what, what was funny is if you want to – I've got the automatic antenna tuner. So you just 
kind of plug it in, push the button, and it, and it tunes. And I'm saying, man, that's amazing, you know, because you hear click, 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 bing. And it says, okay, one-to-one, -one, go ahead and transmit. But, you know, I sort of miss the old days of tune, dip, and load. There are no <laughs> tune, dip, and load controls <laughs> on the KX3. You know we're gonna we're gonna come up with an app for that. It's <laughs> yeah. gonna like simulate. It's yeah. gonna come up with a little knob yeah. where you could. Yeah, but I, I, I'm getting getting to learn more about this. And I, and I gotta tell you, my hat is off to those guys uh, up there in in the Bay Area. They they have really done some amazing things. And I guess uh, what some people tell me is that the K3 is very. I guess the KX3 is very similar to the K3 in terms of functionality. Things only in a bigger box. And I guess you have to make it bigger if it's 100 watt radio. But this thing is the size of a brick, <laughs> you know, it could get lost on your desk. And they've got all the, they've got all these cool uh, kind of um, accessories that you could oh, buy with yeah. you. Could, you could buy the 100 watt amp, yeah. right? They well, got a nice little fact, 100 watt amp. I, I, I sort of positioning myself. I'm waiting to see what's going to happen with the income tax. But they have the, I bought the uh, special uh, dongle that plugs in there so you can key the amp. So I'm just getting ready. I'm getting ready. It's the one that you can either turn on the coffee pot. <laughs> oh, or the one you can turn on the amp, you know. So I, I I'd go with the amplifier. Yeah, I go with the amplifier. And uh, you know, some guys told me that they have bought just the amplifier. The the amplifier has a tuner in it too, so you can get you have the tuner in the in the radio, and then you have the amplifier. And if you want, you can get the amplifier tuner. So you can. Believe me, believe me, Pete. This week I've been tempted. <laughs> I, I saw that amplifier in the back of QSD, and I thought, ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You gotta tell you gotta explain basta. Basta in Italian means enough. 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 Yeah. And so when somebody's done if something is so bad that you're just sick of it and you're not gonna deal with it anymore, you're mad at you say yo basta You know, every time I hear that word I'm reminded of my grandfather on my father's side, the Sicilian one. When when my grandmother would divvy out his plate, because you know in the Italian family the, the mother always puts the portions on the plate. I mean that's right. that's standard deal. And he'd go basta basta <laughs> like it was enough. And I it just conjures up that memory, you know. Well I for, for me it's for me it's memories of our of living in the apartment complex in Rome. And the thing about the apartment complexes in Italy is that they, they seem to be intentionally designed acoustically so that neighbors can hear all of their internal family discussions. <laughs> and very often, <laughs> sometimes you'd, you'd suddenly hear ringing out from across the courtyard, Basta, Sylvia, basta! <laughs> that was another context. Enough of you. <laughs> not, not, not enough, enough of whatever food. you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, I, I, I just, I, I am just so amazed. And it's so nice to see that this is an American product. Uh, I mean, those guys have really been far thinking ahead. And now that I've got the LBS down, I'm going to get a little more time to play with the radio. But I just, I, I told our listeners that I'd share with them. And, and you know, it, it's amazing. I've made some contacts on 15 as well. So seven or eight watts is, is a lot. It oh, is man. enough. And I should tell you that on the LBS running at five watts, I've worked about uh, four states. Oh man! Yeah, forty That's meters. Cool. Forty meters. Oh, wow! No, I mean it's it's amazing what you can do, and it's it's a shame that people have the idea that on phone QRP is ineffective. That's a kind of a widely held belief, but I don't think it's true. I mean, I, I ran the BitX seventeen for more than a year with just the just the five watt level, and I I could pretty much work everybody I heard. 
and I worked all kinds of DX with it, so great things could be done. But, and, but the secret, uh, Bill, is a, is a good antenna. And I got to yep, tell you, you, you can't have a piece of wire on the floor <laughs> and running, no, running no, five watts and really say, well, and, and, I, and I think that's another myth that's put out. Guys will tell you that, uh, you know, they'll tell a story about, well, I just had the piece of wire and I, you know, and I worked Antarctic on the first call. Um, well, at least these things do happen, but you wouldn't want to do it on a regular basis. And you could, and you could tell, even on, especially on 40, when you talk to people on 40, because the antennas are, it's harder to get a really decent antenna up at 40 meter size. But um, you'll hear these guys telling you that they're running just a piece of wire, and you can barely hear them sometimes. It's kind of disheartening. When I uh, was living in the state of Washington, I had an extended Lazy H up in the pine trees. This thing is good for 6 dB gain. And uh, it was the upper dipole was at 50 feet, and the lower one was at 25 feet. They were connected with 25 feet of 450 ohm line. I, I ran my 1500 watt amp in there. And and on the on the East Coast, they they give me reports of like thirty over nine, on the East oh, Coast, man. you know. So it's the <laughs> antenna guys. It's the and then put five watts on, and they'd say, oh yeah, you drop down, you're only about an S three. Well, okay, <laughs> what's that tell you? It's the antenna guys. Yeah, always you know, put the emphasis on the antenna. But uh, man, the, no, the KX three, you're right. Uh, yeah, hats off to to Ellicraft, to Wayne. And Eric and all the folks out there that, in addition to making great radios, they're just really nice people. Oh, absolutely. So, um, I, I'm so, going to uh, get more more time with this. And as a matter of fact, I'm hopeful now with the w warmer weather coming, uh, there's a possibility of being able to take this into the field. I may get the battery pack for it. Ooh. You know, no, the, 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 there's so many possibilities. Not only that, it's a technologically intriguing radio. Oh. And, I mean, and, and constantly updatable because it's essentially an SDR radio in a small package. So... Uh, have you have you uploaded your firmware yet? No, no, I haven't. I just I said, you know what? I'm one of these guys. Say, look, it's working. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but but it's going to be cool when you when you get really going with it. I mean, it's, it, there's there's so many possibilities yeah, there. That I want to feel a little more comfortable busy. about doing that before I do that. <laughs> you know, I used to be in the computer business, and I learned a long time ago. Sometimes when it's working, <laughs> don't make the next change. Oh, I mean, I know, and I know. You see, when you say things like that, you push me further away from <laughs> your beloved microcontrollers. Yeah. So I'm torn here. I'm torn. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm right now. I'm thinking about going out and buying 19 megahertz crystals instead yeah. of cracking well, open the well, Arduino. Well, Bill, I'm going to tell you this. This is the month of March. This is March the seventh, and I am reasoning before the end of the year, you will have an SI5351, <laughs> one of those radios. Uh, I don't know, Pete. It took it took me ten years to build a bidex, so I mean, this might take <laughs> some time. <laughs> you're you're gonna get there. You're gonna have a lot of gentle, gentle urging. All right, all right. Well, we might be going in that direction. Hey, there's one other thing I want to mention here. Uh, a publication that we get from time to time. I mentioned it. It's the publication that causes me to get uh, kind of suspicious looks on the Washington Metro system. It's called Hot Iron. Hot Iron. There you go. Hot Iron, and it's got this kind of black and white format. It looks vaguely suspicious, but it's uh, published by uh, Tim Walford, G3PCJ of the Walford Electronics. Neat guy, Tim. He's, he's a neat great guy, guy. Yeah. and he um, and he has this thing this thing called the Construction Club. It's a quarterly subscription news newsletter. It costs eight pounds a year. I'm sure he'd be willing to give you a dollar price. His website is http colon backslash backslash www.walfords w-a-l-f-o-r-d-s dot net you know this thing comes to me quarterly um tim sends it to me i'm really grateful thanks tim uh, and every issue unlike 
some other radio magazines that will not be mentioned, every, every issue of this thing has really interesting stuff that's kind of interesting at the technical level, but not too technical. Like, um, I'll just go through here. He's got, a, he's got an article by Peter Thornton on matching PN junctions and how difficult it is to truly match the, uh, the forward and reverse resistance on not only diodes, but on the PN junctions on transistors. And, um, and he says, um, and he talks about how difficult it is. And he says, what a simple setup like this can't measure is the device capacitance as we are using DC test currents. Mas matching junctions over many decades, DC and AC, is why matched diodes, matched transistors, and SBL1 mixers cost pounds, not pennies. And this is something that we've, you and I have mentioned a, a few times now. You know, as much fun and as, as educational as it is to, to build our own beloved diode ring mixers with the two tri-filler toroids at either end, it, it's hard to beat that SBL1, which does the same thing in a neat little standardized can, right? Yeah, and, and I'm going to say this again. <laughs> Buy them from RF parts. You can get an SBL1 for 475 And right. by the way, I just bought some uh, FT3743s. I uh, just got an order in the other day. It cost me 70 cents a piece. So if you got two of those, by the time you put the wire in, you're getting awful close to that 475 And it's, you know, this neat package thing much smaller yeah, and you know and i've said several times it's the kind of package i like it's not it's not a mystery box yeah. it's not like some chip with yeah. you know a, a thousand transistors in there and you, nobody really knows how it works if you i i have burnt up more than a few sbl ones because you got to be careful how much audio you pump through it those coils are very you know the, the wire is very fine so if you hit them a little bit too hard you can you can burn them out but then if you crack them open and I have a picture of one that's cracked open on the, the soldersmoke.blogspot.com page. If you search under SBL1, you'll come to the picture. And it's really cool. When you, when you crack it open, you look in there, and there it is. There's the diode ring, and there's the two trifilar toroids. That's all there is to it. And, uh, you know, and you were the one who came up with the innovation on putting the, the pot across two of the, the terminals that, that is in experimental method <laughs> RF design. Everybody, you know, res res as they say, respect. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, that works really well on the LBS. Really, really well. I, oh, I did man. the same same thing there. Yeah. All right, but continuing through hot iron, he's got an article on a low-voltage valved regen receiver. And then here's something very apropos of what we're talking today, a scheme for um, um, using... 9 megahertz filters with uh, 5 megahertz VFOs, not only for the standard uh, 20 and 80 meter mix that we're familiar with, but also a scheme where if you use some frequency dividers, you could take the same scheme and also cover uh, 30 meters, 40 meters, and 160 meters. Really interesting. I mean, and because he's basically using um, you know, a crystal divider and, uh, and um, different kinds of LO outputs for, um, for that, using the 74HC74 chips. Really interesting stuff. Yeah, well, yes, I have 351. <laughs> you just, 
yeah. and some code numbers in there. Yeah. Op amp reconfiguration. By the way, uh, let me talk about that a minute, just real quick. That concept is really kind of interesting. Uh, that where someone wants to build a stable VFO, what yeah. they'll do is they'll build a VFO, say at 15 megahertz, and they'll divide it down by three or four. Let's say yeah. by three. So the yeah. the amount of drift at five megahertz is one third. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What you get at five megahertz. So so that there's some real good applications that solve some drift problems. Yeah, I know. And drift problems. Well, I remember when drift problems seemed like serious problems to me, but I got worse problems now. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I I find myself yearning for those happy but, days but, of but, worrying about drift. Yeah, you, you know the the thing that's interesting, Bill, is. Um, and it's where the technology has taken us. When when I first got started in this, and I, one of the first sideband radios I had was a Swan 120. And if that thing drifted two kilohertz, we thought that was pretty good, <laughs> you know. But now, if you, now if you drift a hundred hertz, somebody oh, will come on oh, and they'll tell you what. Yeah, yeah. Tell you. Well, the other day they'll say, it's unacceptable. The other day, a guy was telling me about the the LBS. He said, "Well, I just want to tell you, I'm looking at you here in the spectrum analyzer," and he said. You don't have any real low lows and any real high highs. He says you're you're right in the middle range there. And I'm saying, okay, what's wrong with that? He says it just you you sound like you're using a Collins filter in there with a steep sides. <laughs> well, what's wrong with that? So you know, it's just these guys. And I said, well, you're not on frequency. And I said, okay, so I I dialed in thirty more hertz. He says now you're on frequency. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's um well, we could we could go on about right. this, but um we don't want to it would be disheartening. Uh Yeah, yeah you got it. <laughs> we want to end on a positive note. So, let me ask you one question. Positive note. You still going to go off to a new rig this year? Is that still the plan? I I am going to leave that with our podcast listeners. No, it is, and I have I have a stack of information here. Ooh. It's called the New Rig Project. Ooh. First, I got to finish this old rig. <laughs> you know, I, I started work on this BitX40 in December 2013. Now, I finished, I thought I finished it, and then I just put it aside because I like the 17 meter rig so much. But it was only since I put the amplifier, the amplifier alerted me to the uh, shortcomings in the signal output of this thing. So when I, once I get this thing squared away, I mean, there's, there's a number of different options. I could go with the DDS VFO if that fixes it. I could just convert it into a, turn it into a, a bit X20 and then build something else for 40. I could change the IFO, IF like you suggest, but that's pretty much tantamount to making it just a monoband rig. Um, or I could go with the, well, yeah, I don't know, the VXO. I don't know. Or I, I could try... I, I don't, I, I'm almost thinking it's it's not worth even trying anymore to fix this thing because the second harmonic is just too darn close. <sighs> when I fix this, we'll click on the next one. Cool. I'm, I'm anxious to see what you're going to end up with. All right. Listen, I, I I hope a few of you out there will uh, will sacrifice some chickens to pop a leg before me because I need some help, guys. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you hear me on 40 meters that I sound terrible. <laughs> take it easy on me because the rest of them don't the thing is these guys the, the guys who've never built anything they have no idea they just don't know 
they don't know. And then you tell them, well, it's a homebrew rig and I'm, I'm working on it. And then they get kind of irritated. Well, it sounds terrible. It's not ready for prime time. Yeah. But by the way, Bill B, I, I just want to share a general observation. I know we're running close to, to the, the time limit here. And that is the number of emails we've been receiving as a result of our, uh, the podcast here about people really getting an incentive to start building stuff whether it's the Michigan Mighty Might or taking on some of these other projects. I, I am really heartened by that, that, you know, someone says, well, that was the kick in the pants I needed. I'm, that's a quote from an, e from an email, you know, uh, that, and I think that that's really good that, uh, you know, and please let us know if there's things that you'd like us to cover. We're, you know, we just, we just have fun talking here. Go, go ahead. And you know, because, and this is, yeah, you're right. And this is the, for us, and I think for most people and potentially for a lot more hams, the really the best part of ham radio. I mean, the fact that we build this stuff and it, and I think the guys who don't build are missing so much. I mean, I really kind of feel sorry for them and it's almost as if they've been convinced that it's impossible to do that today. Or hams don't do that anymore. You'll even hear guys say, oh, I did that when I was a kid, but we don't do that anymore. Now we just buy Yesus and Icoms and Kenwoods or, you know, Flex radios, and we just don't, hams don't do that. And you'll often hear people say, oh, with the modern technology, you just can't do that kind of thing. Well, take a look at the schematic of a Bidex. It's, it's, it's very doable if you've, if you've had a few right. other projects under your belt. Or look at the LBS designed to be doable and you know uh, I, I think yeah you're right if, if as we talk to people about it as people begin to see that it is possible then maybe we'll 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 help get a lot of other people involved and so that they can that they can share in the joy of struggling with this bit x <laughs> yeah, parasitic yeah, oscillation yeah, yeah. well you know uh, taking that one step further on the on the lbs we we offered a basic configuration but but having the Arduino in there, you can add a whole bunch more stuff. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about a super, and we're not going to write a part three. We talked about a super uh, LBS, which uses different amplifiers, has AGC, has a lot more. Uh, matter of fact, if we went to a bigger uh, processor, uh, Arduino, like the Mega, we could put built-in SWR, built-in voltage monitoring. I mean, all the things you see kind of like our standard on the kx3 and we're certainly not suggesting it's a kx3 but a lot of those things that are are on the menus and that sort of thing you now have the option of adding those into a homebrew radio you can measure the power out you can measure the voltage you can measure the swr all these things are doable that's it man and thanks for alerting us to all this stuff, Pete. Thanks also for getting up early in the morning when you're not feeling well. Yeah, feeling, feeling better now. Shows you, you, you've got the true spirit. Yeah. I hope our audio quality is better. Yeah, so do I, because we, we heard that one guy had to pull his earphones out as he's riding the Metro or something. We, we don't want to hurt anybody. Yeah, yeah. We don't, you don't want, want anybody to get injured here. Yeah, yeah. We do take it. What is it? It's, it's, it's not criticism. It's constructive feedback. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just remember I'm Italian. We don't get mad. We get even. <laughs> <laughs> Basta. Basta. Take care, Pete. Hey, seven threes from the West Coast. Ciao. Ciao. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. 
send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Soldersmoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Soldersmoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!